0: You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of First Thessalonians. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join him now. First Thessalonians chapter 3. The theme of this book, the, the theme that, that we are wanting to draw out of this book is, is the theme of hope and hope in Jesus. Every chapter ends with Paul reminding the believers there that Jesus could come back at any time that Jesus is coming back and, and that he's going to take us home to be with him whether by rapture or, or by death. And he wanted to give them hope, a hope in Jesus. And that's what we've wanted to look at. It's what we'll, we'll see this morning as Paul really talks about handling difficulty in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Handling difficulty Christianly. And you, you might think to yourself, well, how else would you handle difficulty in in terms of biblically, wouldn't it be Christianly? And and the the answer to that is absolutely, if you're doing it biblically, it would be Christianly. But the thing is, is that much of our lives as Christians is not Christian. It isn't Christianly at all in the sense that it isn't rooted in Jesus. It, It doesn't find its source in Christ. And unfortunately, much of what we call Christian has nothing to do with Christ at all. And for something to be Christian, it has to be rooted in Jesus. It has to be modeled by Christ. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, is how to handle difficulty Christianly, how Jesus would handle it. And you don't need to turn there, but if, if you look back at Philippians, Philippians chapter 1 Starting in verse 29, Paul says, "...for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ." To you it's been granted. Paul's going to say it's been appointed to us in our text this morning. "...to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him," listen, "...but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Therefore, in light of this, in light of the fact that we're all called to suffer," Listen to what Paul says. If there is any comfort in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, being unified. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so what does Paul say there in Philippians chapter 1? He says, look, you're going to suffer. And in light of that, I want you to be others-minded. I want you to focus on others. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Handling difficulty Christianly means that we're others-minded. You see, because normally when we go through difficulty, which we all do, right? Every one of us goes through difficulty. Some of us in... In more extreme ways than others. And there's seasons where you're going through more difficult things. And sometimes you're going through things that you could never even fathom could happen to you. But we all go through seasons and times of suffering and difficulty. And our tendency in those times. And I've seen it. In ten years of ministry, I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life I've seen it in your lives. Is that when we go through difficulty, our tendency is to pull back from other people. Our tendency is to get very selfish and self-centered. To isolate. To think only of ourselves. And that's why we live in a self-centered culture. The, the word, the term self-centered, it's defined as limited to or caring only about yourself and your own needs. Engrossed in oneself In one's own affairs. Another term is egocentric. It's a psychological term that's defined as the incomplete differentiation of the self in the world. Including other people. And the tendency to perceive, understand, and interpret the world in terms of self. That's what it means to be self-centered. And I think many of us are just that. Yes, we're Christians. But we're not handling our difficulty Christianly. Because when we encounter difficulty, we just get consumed with ourselves, And it's all we talk about. And when you talk to people, you don't care about them. All you do is is tell them about how horrible your life is. And and you begin to dump out your problems and your issues. And it doesn't help you. It just makes you more self-consumed and more self-focused. And so I want us to notice three things about how to handle difficulty Christianly in our text this morning. In verses 1 through 5, concern yourself with others. Be concerned about others. In verses 6 through 9, be encouraged by others' success. And then in verses 10 through 13, pray for others. And so concern yourself with others, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, We thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this for in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. And so the first thing that we see here with Paul is that he concerned himself with others. You see, as much as the Thessalonians were going through difficulty, so was the Apostle Paul. We know that. We know that because he tells us in this book... We know that because in Acts chapter 17, we find Paul there in Thessalonica ministering there, planting a church there, and then being ran out of town by the zealous Jews who were jealous of his ministry. They ran Paul and Silas and Timothy out of town. They went to Berea, and when the religious leaders in Thessalonica heard that they were in Berea, they went to Berea and they ran them out of town there. And Paul left Silas and Timothy and Berea and he went on to Athens. And so Paul faced tremendous persecution. He was undergoing a great deal of suffering. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and read the things that Paul experienced in his life. It's incredible. And yet here, we don't find Paul focusing on himself. We don't find him saying, hey, you know what? My life's really a bummer. Feel sorry for me. Pray for me. You don't see him listing how horrible his life is. No, he says, man, I was concerned about you. He was genuinely concerned with their well-being. He says, man, when we could no longer endure it, I was under such pressure thinking and praying for you that as soon as I thought it was appropriate and okay for me to be left here in Athens, I went ahead and sent Timothy to you. Because Silas and Timothy met Paul in Athens... And they did ministry there together. But once Paul felt like it was okay for him to send Timothy away back to Thessalonica, he did. And that was a sacrifice for Paul to do that. Think about it. If you're in a foreign country on the mission field, you don't have any support. It's a huge sacrifice to send the little support that you do to somebody else. I can relate to that as a, as a church planter. How difficult it is to send the resources that you do have to somebody else. And yet, that's exactly what Paul does. Because he's genuinely concerned about their well-being. He's not worried about himself. And Paul sent Timothy to establish them in the faith. To disciple them. They were young believers. And to encourage them. Because Paul didn't want them to be discouraged. As he says in verse 3... I didn't want you to be shaken by these afflictions. I didn't want you to lose heart. I didn't want you to be derailed and set off course by these trials that you're going through. And and I would say the same thing to you guys. I don't want to see you shaken. I don't want to see you thrown off course by the difficulty that you're going through. Because, as we see at the end of verse 3 and verse 4, we are appointed to this. For in fact... We told you before, Paul told them before when he was with them that we would suffer tribulation, that you would go through difficulty, that you would go through hardships. It's part of the Christian experience. And it's sad today because the preaching of the gospel very rarely includes this. What we find today is, hey, come to Jesus and he'll make your life happy. He'll make your life better. Come to Jesus and he'll take all of your problems away. That isn't biblical. Hey, I'll be the first to tell you, I wish it was. I wish that was biblical. I wish I could preach that gospel. I wish I could say, hey, come to Jesus and you'll be happy and healthy and rich. Your kids will always be respectful. They'll never talk back. They'll grow up to be, you know, just the most admired citizens. People will just think that you are the most amazing parent. Your kids will be rich too and they'll give you money? I mean, I wish I could say that, but I can't because the Bible doesn't. And you know, that gospel only sells in America. Try to take that gospel to Africa, to an AIDS-ridden village where the little food that they do have is destroyed by rodents or disease or some other thing. Try to take that gospel to places where they're being persecuted for their faith like in India currently. It doesn't work. But it works in America because even the poorest among us have the opportunity to, to see their dreams come true. But that doesn't work around the world. And the gospel, you guys, doesn't promise us a playground here in this world. The gospel promises us a battleground filled with difficulty and trials. Peter told his readers in the book of First Peter, don't be surprised by the trials that are coming your way, as if some strange thing is happening to you. And I always love to give the illustration. I used to raise pigs when I was in high school, and I even tried, I, I got this weird idea a couple years ago that I would try to raise pigs again. It was a really stupid idea. I know I don't look like a pig farmer. I, it was just, I was in FFA, and I really enjoyed it. You know, they're kind of fun, and watching them grow, they grow so fast, you know, and and maybe it's because as a pastor, I, you know, I never get to see things happen quickly, and everything is just, you know, over a long process of time, and so with pigs, it's like, you know, in three months, they're ready, but it's always interesting with pigs, because they have zero concept of what is to befall them, and they get really comfortable that you're going to feed them every day, and you're going to take care of them, and you're going to clean out their pen, and And, man, you're going to scratch him behind the ears forever. And then when that guy comes with the gun and shoots him between the eyes, they're always surprised. (laughs) Every time. It's like, hey, look, you should have known this was coming. I'm not going to feed you forever. This is what your destiny is, right? And it's the same with, with Christians. We always act shocked and surprised. When, and people come and, oh, I can't believe this is happening. God doesn't love me. It's so horrible. Let's look at the Bible. What does it say? You should have known. Don't be shocked. This isn't a surprise. This is part of the, the program. This is what you signed up for. Jesus said in Matthew 13, in, in the parable of the soils that represent heart conditions, Right? And there's one heart condition that that is like the stony ground. And the seed gets thrown on the stony ground, and there's not a lot of depth of earth there. And the seed goes down, and because it's not rich soil, because it's stony and rocky, it can't penetrate. And so it just goes down a little ways, and then it starts to come up very quickly. And because it doesn't have a good root base, when the sun comes out, and when the weather comes, and the wind and the rain, it destroys it. And Jesus compared that to people who don't have much depth in their Christian experience and their walk with the Lord isn't rooted in the Word of God. And quickly they, they hear the gospel and they, they want the promises of God and they want all of the good things that God has to offer and they respond to the gospel very quickly and they, they're very excited and everything is awesome. But then when trials come, And difficulties come, their faith is destroyed, Jesus said. And they quickly fall away. Matthew 13, 20 and 21, if you want to look that up. And that's what so often happens. Is that people are shocked and surprised. And there's no depth to their walk with the Lord. And when difficulties come, it's, you know what? Let's bag it. God must not love me. He doesn't care about me. No, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. Look at what I went through. Look at the suffering and the difficulty that I went through. You will go through the same. Paul was aware that the enemy wants to come in and wants to discourage us in the midst of trials. He says, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. I I wanted to get an update. How are you guys doing? Remember, Paul was concerned about them. Lest by some means the tempter or Satan had tempted you And our labor might be in vain. Paul is saying, man, I was so concerned that the enemy had gotten in there and had fed you lies. And you had bought those lies. And you had decided to walk away from the Lord because of your difficulty. And that my labor among you, my preaching of the gospel, the church that I planted would have been in vain. It would have have been a waste of our time. And I love this section because we see here... That Paul is concerned with others in the midst of his trials. And you guys, just like Paul told us in Philippians, be others-minded. Think about others. The tendency is to become self-consumed. Now, some of us are self-consumed even when things are going good. And that's just a problem. But I think it's a real tendency that when you're going through difficulty, when your family is going through struggles to isolate, to, to close yourself in, or To just become so self-consumed, it's all you can think about, it's all you can talk about. They're the same thing, just a different way that it manifests itself. But if you're going through struggles right now and difficulties right now, I encourage you, be others-minded. And you'll be surprised that from a very pragmatic standpoint, that it works to take your eyes off of yourself and put them on others, all of a sudden your problems aren't as bad. Because I can guarantee you, there's always somebody who's going through more than you are. There's always somebody that has more difficulties going on in their life. And when you begin to reach out to them, and when you begin to concern yourself with them, it's like you'll go through a whole day and realize, I haven't even thought about my problem. I've just been thinking about others and, and trying to reach out to them and concern myself with them. It's amazing. It's what Jesus did, right? A couple of specific things I think about in the life of Christ. One of my favorite stories is just after Jesus hears that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. And Jesus has just been ministering to people nonstop. Remember, Jesus was a man, he was fully human. He got tired, he got thirsty. He he got hungry. He had times where he just wanted to get away, just like us. He just heard that his cousin had been beheaded, had been murdered. He's been ministering nonstop. He says, okay, guys, let's go across the the lake and, and get away for a little bit. And so they get in a boat, they go across, and guess what? They get there, and the multitude is there waiting for them. And I always think to myself, if it was me, I don't know if I would say it, but I would be thinking in my mind like, Dear Lord, can't these people just go away? And maybe, maybe the tendency would be, hey, hey, guys, go take care of these people. Tell them to get out of here. Tell them we'll, we'll deal with them later. We're on a little vacation. Don't I deserve it? I mean, my cousin just died for Pete's sake. I don't know if Jesus would say for Pete's sake, but <laughs> that's what I would think. In my mind, I would just be like, come on, this is ridiculous. Ridiculous. But that's not what Jesus did. In fact, he looked out at the people. It says his heart broke because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. He concerned himself with others. Another time I think of in the life of Christ is the night before he's to be arrested and beaten and crucified and give his life for the sins of the world to have the wrath of his father poured out upon him. There he is with his disciples in the upper room and he girds himself with a cloth and he washes their feet, and he ministers to them. That's what it means when I say handling difficulty Christianly. We call ourselves Christians, but that means that we act like Jesus. <clears throat> How did Jesus handle his difficulties? He served others. He was others-minded. You guys, that, that ought to convict you big time, because it does me. Well, you look at verses 6 through 9. Be encouraged by other success. Here's another one. You're going through hardships. But this guy over here is being blessed. You know what the tendency is? Lord, how come I'm not being blessed like this guy? Lord, how come my life isn't easy like this person over here? Why, why are my finances in the toilet and they're being blessed? Why are my kids hellions? But, the, but these people seem to just have little angels. Why? Lord, why am I falling apart physically? You know, I think of my friend Jeff who's going to be speaking at our marriage conference. And, and his wife, Karen, who's you know dying, literally, of um, terminal lung cancer. Unless the Lord intervenes, her life will be cut short by it. And they, they fully know that. But Jeff has said to me on, on many occasions, sometimes I just think, Lord, my wife's never smoked. She's never worked in a factory. She hasn't abused her body with drugs or some chemicals. Why does she have lung cancer? And he says, I I look at people smoking on the street, and I think, why don't you have lung cancer, you idiot? My wife's got lung cancer, and she doesn't smoke? She doesn't do drugs? What's going on, Lord? Or he thinks to himself, I look at these pastors who have horrible marriages, who, who don't even love their wives. And he says, Lord, why don't you take one of their wives? They don't even love them anyway." You know, and that's just Jeff. He's just super honest. But he knows that the Lord's in control. And he's made it his goal in life not to be consumed with himself, but to minister to others. And that's why Karen's going to go in for chemo on Wednesday and then board a plane Thursday to come here and minister to us. So being encouraged by others' success, not thinking to yourself, Lord, why me? Lord, why are are you blessing others and not me? See, it's just complete self-consumption is what that is. But Paul was encouraged by their success. He says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted, concerning you by your faith for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord for what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God Paul was encouraged by the good report that Timothy brought back Timothy came back and he told them how well they were doing that the enemy hadn't gotten in there that they hadn't been shipwrecked in their faith and Paul says that encouraged me I I was comforted by that news, Is that true of you? When you hear that people are doing well and you're not, are you comforted by that? When you hear that people are walking strong with the Lord, that people are pursuing Jesus, does that comfort you? Are you comforted in your trials and difficulties by the success of others? That's what it means to handle difficulty Christianly. Paul, in fact, says he was given new life in verse 8. For now we live, literally, I was given new life. It was, it was such an encouragement to me that it was like new life by your success in the Lord. Wow. Paul found joy in them. His ministry to them brought him joy. And you guys, when you minister to others and you give your life for the sake of others and you reach out to others, there there will be a joy in that that you can't explain. And all of a sudden, your difficulties and your struggles and your trials, they just aren't that big of a deal. Because you recognize that they came to you by the sovereign hand of God who allowed them to happen, who said, yes, I see that trial coming. Go ahead and let that through. That will be good for Ryan. Because you also recognize that there are a myriad of things that God doesn't allow to happen to us. We don't know what they are and we don't see them. But the things that God does let through, they're good for us. And when you're going through them, when you put your eyes on other people and begin to reach out to them in the name of Jesus, in a Christian way, it's amazing the healing that takes place in your heart. The last thing that we see is that Paul prayed for others. Handling difficulty Christianly means that you pray for others and not just yourself. Look at verse 10. Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Paul prayed for them consistently. He says night and day. Night and day, Paul prayed for them. Day after day, he prayed for them. Not consuming himself with himself. His prayers weren't consumed with, woe is me, God. Why are you doing this to me, God? You must hate me, God. No, his prayers were consumed with others. Night and day, consistently. He prayed for them earnestly. In the New King James, it says, exceedingly. Better translation would be earnestly. He prayed for them earnestly. They weren't half-hearted prayers. Like, yeah, Lord, bless all those people in Thessalonica. Oh, and by the way, Lord, why is this happening to me? Oh, God, That's not what he does. He prays for them earnestly. He means it. It's heartfelt. He prayed that he could minister to them, that he could actually physically go to them and help them. Not just somebody else. Not, Lord, send somebody over there to help them out. No, Lord, send me. I'll go. I want to be involved in this. I know, Lord, my life's been difficult. My life's been really hard. I know they ran me out of town last time, but I want to go back there. That's the kind of mindset that Paul had. It's the kind of mindset he had when he gathered the Ephesian elders together there in Acts chapter 20. On his way back, they stop in Miletus. He calls for the Ephesian elders. He knows he can't get to them because he's going back to Jerusalem and Ephesus is inland. And he's on a boat. And so he calls for them to come to him. And they come to him and he ministers to them. And he says, you know what? Everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit testifies... That when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to get beat, I'm going to be imprisoned, I'm going to be persecuted, I'm going to suffer. He says, everywhere I go, that's what I'm being told. And people are interpreting that by saying, hey, Paul, don't go. Stay here, we'll protect you. That was their interpretation. And I'm sure in his flesh, Paul was thinking, yeah... That would be a good idea. But he says, I know that the Spirit is calling me to go back. Even though the Spirit is testifying that I'm going to go through these difficulties and trials. That doesn't mean the Spirit is telling me not to go. He says, no, none of these things move me. Because I do not count my life dear to myself. That was Paul's mindset. He didn't count his life dear to himself. His life was completely given over to Jesus. And if it meant going back to Jerusalem and facing Beatings and whippings and persecution, he says, none of these things move me. None of these things derail me from what God has called me to do. And that's why Paul would pray for others in the midst of his trials. That's why Paul would say, you know what? I'll go. I'll go, minister. Yeah, I know I'm going through difficulty. Yeah, I know I've got a lot of trials. You know what our tendency is when we're going through trials? You know what? I, it's just really hard right now. I'm going to go ahead and step back from that ministry. I can't handle it right now. Things are too tough. I'm going to quit that. I've just got to focus on myself for a while. Paul prayed that he could see them again. His heart was toward them. Again, it would have been very easy to say, you know what? I just wasn't feeling it when I was there with you guys. Got ran out of town, you know, it's just, eh. I think I'll go somewhere where it's a little more friendly, if you will. No, he says, I want to go back. I want to minister to you. I want to encourage you. Paul prayed that their love would grow. Toward one another. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. That's the key. If we're going to handle difficulty Christianly, we have to love people. If we're going to be others minded and not be self-focused and self-consumed and self-centered, we have to love people and not just ourselves. See, we're taught today that, that you've got to love yourself. That you've got to really try hard and, and find it within yourself to love yourself. That is psycho babble. okay? We don't need to try hard to love ourselves. It comes real naturally to us. It, I mean, the moment my children were born, they were in love with themselves. Just yesterday, we were looking through some photographs of Caitlin when she was one years old because Andrew's brother and sister-in-law have a one-year-old, almost one-year-old daughter and, and Caitlin, our daughter, and her look a lot alike. And so we were looking at Caitlin, when she was one and juxtaposing it with Samantha, and, and it, was, it was kind of funny and seeing how much they look alike. And, and Carson's there, and he says, Mom, go get my photo album. I want to look at pictures of me. He's four, right? But he recognized, hey, Caitlin's getting all the attention here. I want to see pictures of myself. We didn't teach him that. I didn't send him down and say, you know what, Carson? Let me tell you how to be self-consumed, self-focused, and to love yourself. I didn't teach him that. It just came naturally to him. And you guys, we don't have to to learn to love ourselves. Yes, I believe that we have to learn to accept and appropriate the love of God and to see ourselves the way he sees us and to be able to appropriate his forgiveness and to forgive ourselves because we've been forgiven by God. But see, the mere fact that you're living under all of that guilt and all of that shame and focused on self is because you do love yourself. See, that's, that's where it comes from. And we have to begin to, to see the way that God sees us. And that's true self-esteem, Jesus' esteem. And so Paul prayed that they would have a love for people, a love for others, that it would grow. Not only those in the church, as he says, that you would love one another. And that's where it's, Gotta start is by loving people that actually love you and care about you. And Jesus said, that's really easy because even the heathens do that. To love people that love you. We've gotta love people though that actually love us first and then love those outside the church. Love people in the world. Have a heart for people that could care less about us. Love for one another and to all. Pray that God would give you a love for people. You guys, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, one of the fruits of that will be love. When you give yourself over to the Holy Spirit, a fruit of that is love, love for people. And if you're a person that says, you know what, I love Jesus and, and, I'm, and I'm a Christian, but I just don't really love people that much. On one hand, I understand that in a fleshly kind of way. But on the other hand, it's opposed to God. Because being a Christian means that you love people, that you care about people, that you're others-minded that you live the way Jesus lived. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, that if, if we're going to abide in Christ, if we say that, that we abide in Christ, then we also ought to walk just as Jesus walked. That's heavy. That's why the Gospels are so important as we see how Jesus lived his life, as we see how he interacted with people, as we see how he handled difficulty, and we say, Lord, that's how I want to live my life. Lord, that's how I want to handle my difficulty. Lord, make my love for people grow. Make it abound. Lord, I pray that it would spill out of my life. Love for people. And Paul closes by praying that God would establish their hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. And over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at these two principles specifically. The first, that God would establish our hearts blameless in holiness. We're going to look at that next week in chapter 4. Excuse me. Talking about holiness. That it's the will of God that we would be sanctified. That we would be set apart. And we're going to talk about sexual purity and possessing your own vessel with honor. And that will be next week. And then we're going to talk about the coming of Christ. As he says that our hearts would be established in holiness... Before our God, at His coming. And in chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, we're going to talk about the coming of Christ. So over the next two weeks, we're going to cover these things. But I love that Paul prayed that their hearts would be established in holiness. And see, here's the thing, you guys. is It's very easy for us to put on an exterior of holiness. It's easy for us to put on an exterior that we really care about people, when in fact we don't. And what God is concerned with is our heart. See, it's our tendency to work on the outside and to neglect our heart. And that's why plastic surgery is a billion-dollar industry. That, that's why we care more about our clothes and our makeup and how our hair looks. And, hey, I'm as guilty as anybody. Not about my hair. I could care less about that. But, you know, we, we want to have a nice appearance. We have a, we have a reputation to uphold, possibly but it's real easy for us to focus on the exterior and to neglect our hearts that's what i love about the church buildings that we've inhabited the one downtown on uh, claypool and then and then this building is neither one of them looked very impressive from the outside you know the the other one especially i mean it was really kind of ugly in the old rocks you know from the 50s or 60s or whatever and it just looked pretty hideous in that shake Shaker board edge trim around the the facade that just looked horrible and it was falling off and cobwebs all over And but you walked in it was like wow This is kind of nice in here and the same with this building I mean, it's a little nicer on the outside, but it's nothing impressive at all And then you walk in it's like wow, it's really nice and you know that ought to be a a picture of our life That people look at us and they go, you know, there's nothing real impressive about that guy There's nothing real impressive about that gal But man, their heart, it's for the Lord. They have a tremendous heart for God. They they have a a heart that is established in holiness. They have a heart that is others-centered and others-minded and really cares about people and not just themselves. Wow. If we could have that, you guys. If I could have that, and it starts with me, and I want this for myself. If we could have this. And we could have a church filled with people who handle difficulty Christianly and whose hearts are absolutely on fire for Jesus and consumed with Him. And when you're consumed with Him, it means that you'll be others-minded and you'll love people. And if that would happen, you guys, will revolutionize this city for Jesus. Do you want to do that? I do. I hope you do too. Let's stand and pray together. Father, thank you, God, for a convicting message for myself. God, as much as, Lord, I I want the the folks here to grasp this and to to embrace this. God, I need to, Lord, in my own heart. God, forgive me for my self-consumption. God, forgive me for being self-centered and self-focused. And God, I pray that each of us individually would be confessing that to you right now. God, confessing our selfishness and our pride and our arrogance, confessing, Lord, that we haven't been handling our difficulty Christianly. God, bring these truths into our life. May we apply them. God, root them in our hearts that they might bear fruit for your glory, Jesus. God, help us to first of all be consumed with you. And as we do that, Lord, you'll put our eyes on others. Lord, give us opportunities in the midst of our hardships and difficulties, to minister to others. And God, may we see just the radical transformation that will happen when we do that. Jesus, make us like you today. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. If you would like to write to us or contribute to this ministry, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Or you may log on to our website, www.calvarycrookcounty.com. Thank you for listening and God bless.